0: Welcome to This Girl Cam, where we chat to wonderful women doing fabulous things in pharma. I'm Liv Nixon, and today I'm absolutely delighted to be talking to Vicky Williams, General Manager for GSK in Germany. I've made the decision to release this episode a day early, as it feels appropriate that this episode in particular is published on International Women's Day. This was a hugely powerful interview for me on a personal and a professional level. Vicky talked to me about the importance of showing vulnerability as a leader and shared with me her personal experience of losing her daughter due to a late miscarriage at 22 weeks. As a result of our conversation, I've challenged my own way of working and I'm trying to be more open myself about who I am and the experiences that I've lived that have shaped my career. In 2013, our firstborn son, Harry, passed away at 14 months old. He lived a short life with far more pain than I wish he'd ever had to suffer, but without a shadow of a doubt he's the reason our family unit is so strong today. Our daughter was born just ten days after Harry died, and I never returned to the work environment that I'd had before Harry. I share this in the hope that other people will try to move past the discomfort of talking about grief and pain in a work environment and inspire more workplace cultures like the ones that Vicky is such an advocate for. We talked more about the impact of sharing such personal experiences throughout this chat, and I'd love to know if we perhaps move anyone else to lead with vulnerability. Let's get going. Hi Vicky, welcome to the show. Thanks very much. Great to be here and thank you for inviting me on. It's an absolute pleasure. I'm really pleased to have you. Vicky, to kick us off, if you could tell us a little bit about yourself and your family and your work life, please.
1: So, yeah, I'm the general manager of GSK Germany living in Munich with my three boys who are 13, 11, and six, and my husband, Giles, who looks after everything that's non pharmaceutical. So, in our lives, So it's a bit of a team effort. My husband does everything at home, and I run GSK Germany. I've worked for GSK for 25 years. I started when I was 22, straight out of university, but have had the most incredible career adventure i would say with with gsk across different countries working globally regionally and in different locs in europe and and yeah it's led me here to to munich and looking off this fantastic organization here with so much potential in germany and having a massive impact on people's lives living in germany which is a real honor fabulous so was it was january last year is that right when you and yeah i started in january last year so I spent first sort of eight months. months commuting back and forth to london and then we all moved wow. in september over to munich as a family we previously moved to paris where we ended up spending 10 years that was before the kids were born that they were all born during our time in france and then i was the general manager in austria i moved there with a nine month old which in hindsight, wow. was probably a bit mad, but it worked out okay. And then we moved to London and uh, during the pandemic and then after that to Munich. Yeah. So you must have some pretty adaptable boys. I think kids are fairly adaptable. Yeah. I think what I find with my kids is that the family unit is kind of really important. And I think because they have moved a few times, they seem... It seems less important that they have these like one best friends that they tend to be able to sort of live within a group of friends. And because they've gone to international schools, schools where there are other experts, I think they're used to friends coming and going within that friendship group. Yeah. I think that's what's slightly different for them. And we do a lot as a family when we're here, like different adventures across the country. And I think they really like that. I don't know, Liv, have we made the right choice for them? I don't know. Like sometimes I think they should have their home roots. And then other times I think that maybe it's gonna be okay. They're definitely gonna be multi. Roots though, aren't you? Yeah, that's it. And they, they you know what they'll resent me for moving them around, at least I'll be able to speak two or three languages. Maybe one day they'll thank me. We never know exactly, do we? But you certainly communicate in a lot of their things. anger in multiple languages. <laughs> exactly. That's true. That's true, exactly. <laughs> they can swear at me in various languages. But I think what's also important is the model that we've had where my husband doesn't work, A has enabled me to be able to focus on career in different places without me having to sort out everything home yeah but also i think that he's provided very stable link at home which i think has also enabled us to be successful even while we've moved around as a family so i think different models work for different people but that's worked for us i'm not saying it hasn't had challenges along the way because it's not a traditional model where it's my husband that does everything at home and obviously is more traditionally reserved for a trailing spouse which is assumed to be a woman but it's taken adaptation, but it works for us really well now. Yeah. So talk to me more about your
0: career journey. I interviewed Debs back in December. Did you start off on a similar path to her then yeah. at GSK? Yes,
1: yeah, so I it's a very funny story that I i was always going to join the British Army and almost signed on to to be an officer at Sandhurst. And the last weekend before I signed, it was raining and I was getting shouted at in the mud, and I've had a fairly A career chain of arts. And Glaxo Welcome at the time were offering these student presentations and dinners. And so I didn't have much money. And I went there and I really liked the idea of a career where I could combine my biological sciences degree, but also in business and people and leadership. And so I I joined the graduate trainee scheme and spent the first 10 years in the UK as a medical rep. Sales manager, quite a lot of marketing experience. And then towards the end of that time, I was HIV business unit head and also launched the vaccine for prevention of cervical cancer in the UK in a business unit before I moved to France. So yeah, that was the first 10 years building up, I think, a base of commercial experience. And then, yeah, I moved to France and I was a regional marketing director. We had a European office in Paris and I really fell in love with French life. And ended up spending 10 years there learning French, having three children in a, actually a very interesting a society that has a very different approach to childbirth, approach to having young kids than the UK. It was very interesting to see the differences. But yeah, ended up spending 10 years in France and I ran a business unit in France for rare diseases. And then I was sales director in France. And then after that, yeah, moved to Austria as the general manager. And then I was in, moved to global and at first I was a, uh, global commercial lead called a medicine commercialization lead for eosinophilic diseases and then had this incredible opportunity to lead the global launch for monoclonal antibody during the pandemic in collaboration with a biotech in San Francisco and you're never going to get a role like that again. It was absolutely incredible to do something making a difference to the pandemic, unbelievable pace with a whole groups of different customers that I'd never spoken to, learning from a biotech, and just by, with a team that was so incredibly driven by purpose. A lot of the barriers that you normally face just didn't exist. It was incredible, and I think I learned a lot from that.
0: Yeah, but take me back a little bit further, Vicky. When you were in France with young children, you talked a bit about then the different approach that they have in France to, to family. Mm-hmm. So I'm interested in that and the work-life balance aspect and how it differed there and how that's been for you in different places that you've lived. Yeah, I
1: think there's a very distinct culture experiences of this idea that I had of childbirth without painkillers it, there's no women screening in French maternity wards everybody has an epidural and and I think there's actually less pressure on women in a way in France I think less expectations on this need to be perfect about breastfeeding many French women go back to work there's felt there was I think in the UK, there's a lot of pressure on women to do pregnancy in a certain way, to have ex-childbirth, to have a bloody birth and whatever. Yeah. Then to be hugely successful at breastfeeding. And then I think in France, it felt like there was, to me, a little bit more forgiving and realisation that this is really difficult. And certainly, yeah, I felt that there was a lot of less societal expectation than I Previously, had felt on women in the UK. Maybe it was just because I was in a different culture, but but yeah, it was it was certainly a model that really accepted and supported women to go back to work. Yeah, at that point, both me and my husband were both working, and I think the provision of childcare was pretty good. So yeah, I think it was there was some differences. I wouldn't say it's then easy going back to work after you've had a child, but it was certainly I didn't find it that challenging. I didn't feel there was a huge amount of expectations of. A certain way that I had to do it. So, on that topic of going back to work after you've had a child, is that
0: something then that you yeah. now bring into your practice as a leader? Is that something you're quite passionate about that return to work for women? I think,
1: I suppose, not specifically about that topic. I think it's more generally about how we treat, make it easy or make it fair for women who do have different stages of their life versus our male colleagues yeah. that women are not biased against because they may be thinking about having children and not biased against because they may be during this period, they may have kids and we know that nobody knows what women might be going through that in terms of infertility challenges, et cetera. And certainly that we yeah. make it possible for women to work flexibly and to have, make a return to work if they want to with different models and I think me as a mother and I'm not sure about if it's the same as you I just need flexibility I very rarely see women who aren't working really hard but they just need that that maybe a Friday afternoon to do x y or they want to be able to leave a bit early and then pick up the computer later and I think that's great isn't it post the pandemic is that we are open to a more flexible model which could absolutely support women's Women at work, I think unfortunately the data shows that's not quite the case yet, because during the pandemic, women picked up a lot of additional home care tasks. It's women who are choosing to work more in a more hybrid way, and we know that women working more hybridly, if there's a big concentration of people who are working back in the office do get excluded and are maybe outside out of mind a little bit more versus their male colleagues and then it may be the male colleagues who are. Their lives are set up more practically for them to be able to return to the office. So I think we need to make sure that flexibility is not leading to exclusion of women.
0: Because yeah, it is yeah. easy. For them yeah.
1: to work at home, we need to work really hard on that. I think as women as well, we need to make sure that we're not excluding ourselves, that if we're choosing to work one, two, three days a week at home, that we're doing that consciously of what might we be missing out of that might be happening in office and therefore I think a hybrid model is very important so that women are being represented in the meetings are there when decisions are being made are not forgotten because we may need to work at home a bit more and also we're really demanding 50-50 at home that if we've got partners who can share working from home that we're asking for that 50-50 in lots of aspects of our lives so It's not as simple as it might seem now that we think we've got more flexibility, that it's the miracle that we thought it was going to be. Um, I think it does give more women options to be able to cope with work and life. But we've just got to be very careful that we don't take a step backwards as well.
0: Yeah. I think there's a lot that we put on ourselves though as well, Vicki. And I can tell you, since I started working independently, I deliberately take Friday afternoons off. I say it off. I've got yeah. two two-year-olds for the afternoon, so it's they're actually hell. But have another story. But I deliberately section Friday afternoons off so that I have that time with them. But even now, I still feel like that's not something I should. Broad, I find I really find it difficult to admit that I'm not working. Do you know? And yeah. I can't be alone in that. Really
1: I know, I mean, I think men and women do this as well. That We've set unbelievable expectations on ourselves and then beat ourselves up. I, last year, this was happening to me all the time. I was like beating myself up about all the things I couldn't do in a day, even though I'd actually done quite a lot, but it's all the things I couldn't get to. And this year I've started really writing much more about what I really need to achieve in a day. And I found this is much better at me avoiding trying to be perfect every single day and in a way celebrating what I have achieved some of the really important things every day, even though I might not have got to the end of my inbox or I forgot to, didn't quite get around to doing X, Y, Z. So I think we all set really high expectations on ourselves. And that's, I think, part of a broader societal problem. Somehow, I think we've also got to find ways to be kind to ourselves and, and say that in general, we say good is good, genug. good is good enough because you know, we just think ourselves up all the time. And definitely something that I'm working on this year is just trying to be a bit kinder but to celebrate what I have achieved rather than all the things I haven't got to and yeah. everything else. So yeah, I think, think that women do tend to do that a lot. We want to be perfect moms. We want to be perfect at work. We want to be perfect partners, et cetera. But I think we can just take small steps and all of this is really hard. And I think we've just got to be a bit kinder to ourselves and as well within that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So when... You and I first, so I was just going to put into context our pre-chat and talk a little bit more about what we talked about at that time and because we had... Quite an emotional sharing yeah. of events, didn't we, in our lives. So you shared with me about your daughter when we first spoke and the experience of a stillbirth. You called it a late miscarriage. Would you, I'll let
1: you tell yeah, me about I, it Yeah, uh, Yeah, I think a miscarriage at 22 weeks is classified as a stillbirth. Yeah, losing a baby at 22 weeks is a stillbirth and I had to give birth. So yeah, I think it is a stillbirth. And I think that experience you know, I think it's, it's, it's all part of this. How do we support women better during the time that they are thinking about having children, having children, both the positives and some of the unfortunate experience that can happen to women there. And I think pregnancy or child loss, unfortunately, and as we discovered when we were speaking to each other, live is much more common than we think. And my experience yeah, I mean, at GSK, and I'd love to hear what you've experienced talking to other people in other companies, is that as we support women being different from men more and more, supporting women through fertility issues, miscarriage, is really not that well developed in a lot of com- in companies. And yeah. certainly in GSK, it was only until recently that if you wanted to go information about what to do if you had a miscarriage you still had to look in the having a baby brochure where you went through pages and pages of congratulations you've had a baby which just really did you know GSK has now changed it and changed it as soon as it was highlighted but I think it was difficult to find support that was available during miscarriage I think yeah we need to also be able to mentor and support women who maybe going through this period of their life, which we all know can stretch several years where you may be thinking yeah. about trying for maybe having unfortunately lost babies and that that period doesn't become also a period where women don't advance their careers or feel that they can. This whole area, I think, is, a, is an evolving area that companies need to develop in, but admit it's happening and talk about it. Yeah, um, yeah. I think for me, many, many women feel unable to talk about Pregnancy loss or fertility issues yeah. because they don't want people to know they're trying for a baby. But God, it occupies your headspace when you're in it. And so it is a very difficult period for women. I think we need also to be evolving the way that we are supporting women around these issues because it's happening to so many women. I think it's still a taboo area that we're not willing to talk about. I think if women do want to speak about their family journey or what maybe they're struggling with fertility issues or then I think that they need to reach people who are sympathetic and can understand that. I've had an experience in my career and luckily it was a few years ago and I really don't think in GSK today that you would hear this but I, I was not put forward for a promotion which I felt I deserved and the email I got back from my manager at the time was that he had decided that it wasn't the right time for me to go for this job because I had young kids I mean that was a real eye-opening moment live where I was like I'm going to take control of my development here I'm going to I'm not going to rely on someone else deciding for me and that really actually changed my approach to my own personal development like I don't hear that where I work luckily at all those kind of conversations but I think all of us as leaders, and maybe we're leaders who've had children, we need to champion because that's all part of where it's maternal bias and we need to challenge it whenever we hear it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: You're so right. It's those moments when you say, this is going to shape how I now
1: move forward. Exactly. I think that we're in a real battle for talent. And yeah, I want the best people in the industry working at GSK Germany. And Mm -hmm. so... What people are looking for is diversity, inclusion for us, an organization that does the right thing. And yeah, yeah, you can say that's all about being number one in the access to medicines industry list. It might be about your sustainability agenda. It might be about that you've got employee resource groups supporting the LGBT community or racial diversity. But it's also about if I've got a great, man or woman here who has, happens to have a drink in the pub with somebody or goes out with somebody and they say oh GSK is really brilliant in terms of supporting women and families that person is much more likely to apply to GSK and this, is, yeah. this is a selfish reason as well as this just being the right and fair thing to do it's also about making your company attractive for the best people to come and work in and as a leader I've got very clear objectives about diversity inclusion and Diversity in all of its forms has enormous power for organizations as well as being the right thing to do in society. I think it all starts with leadership. It all It starts with allyship. And it's not enough to say, oh, yeah, I support gender equality. It's, what are you doing on a daily basis to challenge some of these things that you might be hearing in a meeting or in a talent review, or in a recruitment board, yeah, you know, people people don't set out to be against women. You know, very I think that's very rare now. But it is about a lot of unconscious bias that sometimes we don't realise we've got until someone points it out. And you don't need to point it out in a very aggressive way. It can be saying, "Oh, just can we talk about that that you've just said?" Or actually, I see it in a different way. And for me, it's that's the bit which is the next step for really getting equality between men and women. I think we've got in many companies, equal number of men and women on boards or senior leaders, men and women, but it's bias, which is holding women back. And therefore, all of us, men and women, have got to challenge that in the way that we would challenge inequity in other forms. It's got to be, that's the next step.
0: Yeah. It's one of my goals for this podcast because the more people that come on, and just talk about a situation that someone might not have considered. And like you say, a lot of the most biases are totally unconscious. So the more you have these conversations, the more we just bring awareness to it in a non-aggressive way. No judging, just
1: pointing things out from a different perspective. In the same way that you're having a conversation with me about it, I think it's also for us to have those conversations either with our friends or in work that I realized that where everything happened with George Floyd, that I had my understanding of what the black community in America was facing or some of the considerations that a mum of a black child, boy particularly in the U.S., I had no understanding of that and therefore probably did have huge bias or misunderstanding and how I got over this was really looking for conversations knowing that I might say the wrong thing and I apologized it up front if I'm sorry if I ask questions that are really delicate but I'm truly trying to educate myself. I'm really open to have that sort of conversation with anyone who wants to about my experience as a female leader in pharma, some of the good things, the bad things. And if it comes from a point of Want people wanting to know and be curious. What I find really difficult is when I get asked questions whether I feel there is a judgment behind it. Like, oh God, do you think your kids have suffered because you have prioritized your career? I'm like, well, that is, yeah. but you ask that to a man, or are you asking it from a point of curiosity, or because you've got a judgment that I've not been, that I've not been as good as a mother because I've obviously. Had I have had a lot of focus on my career. And so I think it's all about where's our intent coming from? Are we trying to learn or are we coming from an intent of judgment? And therefore, I think we just need to care for what advice we might be exhibiting. And I'm really always happy to discuss it if it's coming from a tent of curiosity, wanting to understand, and that we would maybe have similar conversations with men. It would be nice, wouldn't it? Just occasionally to ask the same
0: questions of a male. So talk to me about, uh, after you had your daughter and you came back to work, talk to me a little bit more about that period of time, if you would.
1: Yeah, so I had a miscarriage at 22 weeks. Just, it was the worst thing that's ever happened to me. And I think that other women who've suffered miscarriage, you think it's all your fault, your self-confidence just takes a huge I know it wasn't my fault you failed in what you're supposed to be able to do as a woman and and then you've got this whole kind of trauma of do we have try for another baby don't we I for 22 weeks imagined life to be different from this and now it's not and it's hugely psychologically difficult so I think that when I came back the people just didn't know how to talk about this. I really need, I came back to work after a month because I needed something to distract my head from this going round and round. And people didn't know how to talk about it, but maybe I also didn't make it easy for people to talk about it because I put up a bit of a wall. And I remember one I was doing a workshop and I was like presenting and someone said to me, oh God, you're really on form, Vicky, it's this happened. And I'm like, oh, you've got no idea. Like I am, I'd be in the toilet crying, but I've got a function here. And I think what can we do in that situation mm-hmm. is I think maybe as other women, but I think men also is just say the right things that women know that they can talk to you yeah. if they want yeah. to. And I think then it can just be, Something like, look, I'm here if you want to talk about this or I know this is going to be impacting you. Let me know if you want to talk. I think there's other phrases that people use. You've got two kids and we oh, can always find oh. for another one or a variety of things which I've misphrased. I think the, the most imp- important thing is that um, women who are going through these issues have someone to talk to. Secondly, I needed a kind of a next step in my life. I needed to get past this point of losing Anna and everything. And there was one leader who didn't obviously think, oh, will Ricky try for another baby? Or is she tough enough to be able to take this next step? And he offered me a promotion to a VP. And it was like, it was just the best thing that could have happened because it was something else for me to focus on. I was like, my oh God, he actually believes in me. Maybe I can do this. Maybe this, I could get out of this horrendous phase of loss and grief and everything. And It was just what I needed. And I think that really was a turning point for me to say, my God, like, how am I going to pay this forward? And that's the point at which I got very involved and interested in women's leadership and support for women and all of this stuff. Because. Sometimes you just need somebody who believes in you, who isn't thinking, or is she going to try for another baby? Or is she emotionally stable enough to handle this? And gives you an opportunity. And that, I will always be forever to him for doing that. And I think that was a lesson for me that I need to be there for other women and need to be there for other women to speak to if they need to. I'm very open that I had this horrendous miscarriage. Because actually, then women come up to me and say, what happened to me as well? And maybe it just then allows these things to be talked about in a way that isn't taboo. And I think it's just about normalizing all these things that are happening, unfortunately, to women every day. Yeah. That's got to be the answer to it. That's my learnings from this just horrendous experience, which I would never wish on anyone.
0: So how do we address it moving forward? What are practical things we can put in place or that we can do to help? Is it just raising awareness like this and having these sorts of conversations, like you said before, with each other as
1: well? I think it is modern leadership, which is authentic and open. I'm not saying we all have to share our life stories, but I think as leaders, the more that you can share your story to normalize experience that others may go through, yeah. I think that just the more people will be able to talk and things less become less hidden and less taboo and less whatever supposed or imagined. In the organization here, we've got leaders who are very open about their sensuality. And yeah. I think that having senior leaders, as I've seen in GSK, who are open about, you know, they're married to other men or, or very transparent about that, I really believe it allows other people to be themselves. Yeah. It, allow, it thinks, I can be who I am here. This organization, I can be who I want to be and I'm going to be accepted because there's very senior people being very open about who they are. And whether that's women talking about struggles of work and motherhood, whether it's talking about miscarriage or talking about openly about your sexuality or struggles that you may be facing as, a, as someone who is in a minority, group I do think modern leadership is about talking about those things because it allows other people then to talk and allows yeah. other people to say oh sure I can turn up and be myself and well, if we can get that there's huge power in releasing so much energy into an organization because people spend a lot of time if they're not really truly they waste a lot of energy hiding themselves if they can't be themselves and that's energy which could be better than helping our mission in GSK. So I do think role modeling, I do think openness, I think transparency is important because it allows other people to do the same. And I think that's probably the answer more than anything else. Role models are so critical, so critical.
0: It's so powerful when you're saying that. From a personal perspective, I talk openly with you on a one-to-one about Harry. I've spoken, in certain situations on a one-to-one, I am comfortable in a professional situation sharing what happened to Harry. But it isn't something that I discuss publicly. Harry died um, in 2013. And I think a lot of the reason, and possibly a lot of the reason a lot of other people don't talk about these sort of experiences is it's really hard, isn't it? I'm very good at being practical. And you could have asked me at the time everything that happened, and I'd have sat down and told you from his medical diagnosis right through to his surgery to every single detail of his medical life. But if somebody then said to me, and how do you feel? Um, oh I, I, I couldn't do that bit.
1: Oh, I know when we first met, Liv, this is the topic that I conversed into tears about. At any moment, I mean, um, just I could be watching something or whatever, and it will just still trigger this because it's unbelievable trauma. And but then if that's traumatic for us, it's probably women sat at a desk out here who feel they I can't, can't talk, talk about it, and that they're yeah. de- coping on their own maybe. And so I think as hard as for it is for me, tears. yeah, and it's hard as it is for me because like there's still this stiff up in it, Get on with it. You're a professional. But then I think. God, if I if someone just in this organisation knows that I went through this late miscarriage and it enables them just maybe to have a coffee with me, saying I'm going through it too and I'm really struggling. Mm -hmm. And could can we have a chat about how you managed to get back to work or how did you cope? How did you cope with the decision to have another child or not? Surely that is worth my pay, my uncomfortable vulnerability moment of saying, I can't talk about this. It's so upsetting. And maybe I should just hide this because I'm going to get on with my job. But I honestly am inspired by people who are able in a very authentic way to share their stories has allowed me to maybe be a female leader in a different way than my male colleagues have been. I remember a very senior woman at GSK was the first person I'd ever heard about who had a husband who didn't work. And then I was like, oh, blimey, that could be a model that, that maybe I could do. A few years later, maybe we got the opportunity to think about that. And if I'd never seen any other woman doing this model, you'd never think it was possible. And if that woman hadn't openly spoken about the fact that her husband didn't work and that's what they were doing, maybe I would never have thought about it. And because no. I'm so sure as if well, never saw it in any of our friends or family, a different model. And, So I honestly, so convinced about role modeling and openness and vulnerability and transparency that enables other people to think that maybe they can be, have a different approach or talk about things or get over it. As uncomfortable as it is, I think we need to, in a way that feels comfortable, I would never introduce myself and then say, oh, by the way, this happened to me. I think in a way that's authentic, I think it can have huge power definitely. Yeah. That yeah that
0: openness to approach
1: definitely definitely, yeah it's yeah the more we see people who share lived experiences, the more I think we're able to speak about ours, and yeah then we we grew up, you and know, I grew up in when in a family where we didn't really speak much about our feelings and and it's difficult to do it you have to learn to beat this is vulnerability and authenticity, it's not something that we had as, and so you are we do stress this, the, yeah, it's you're learning it, I hope my kids are a bit more used to their mother's saying, how are you really? I don't know. It's not something that we did. and No. We've all had to learn this going through and I don't think we do it perfectly all the time. No.
0: I don't really want to bring it to a close but I have to. But I'm hoping that maybe one day we can do a second part of this where I don't know what we'll take on the world. But um, (laughs) just to say thank you. So much for making the time to to come on the show. I really appreciate it, and for being so open and vulnerable. Because as you say, it is really important. And I've learned something myself, and maybe I will try and be a little
1: bit more vulnerable from time to time. Who knows? Thank you, Liv, for starting conversation. If this conversation we've had starts another conversation or a chance for a woman to to offer a conversation, then is a huge success. So thank you very much for the opportunity okay. to do that.
0: Well that's it from me
1: for another episode.
0: If you've been impacted by my conversation with Vicky or you'd like to talk about a situation you've experienced or are experiencing or perhaps you manage a person and you're unsure how to approach their situation, please do feel free to get in touch with me directly. My email address is live at thisgirlcam.com. As I said at the beginning, I'd also love to know if this episode has motivated anyone to speak more openly or lead with more vulnerability than they may have done before. Thank you so much for listening. Happy International Women's Day, one and all. If you haven't done so yet and you're enjoying the podcast, please do subscribe or hit follow. It makes a massive difference. As always, go to thisgirlcam.com to see this interview in print and to find out who my guest is next week. You can follow me on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter and Facebook all under This Girl Cam. Thanks again everyone. Happy International Women's Day. Bye for now.